Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. For listeners who are new to the show, at the top of every month, I'll choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of said filmmaker with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which then I will watch and report back on. This month, it is obviously October, uh, despite what the calendar, or, or I should say, I guess, despite what the weather says, it's allegedly fall. So I wanted to, to really dig into the, the horror genre, give you listeners something something and someone scary. So this month, I'm exploring some films from Dario Argento, and joining me to discuss, uh, he's, uh, he's the writer and editor of That's Not Current, and uh, soon-to-be-coming-back-made-for-TV film podcast, Small Screen Cinema, he is returning guest, James McCormick. James, thank you for joining me. Anytime, Jim. I'm I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I I knew I, I knew, like I said, I wanted to do something horror related and something that um was a bit strange, and so I I thought, why not why not bring James back for that sort of a thing? I, I, I take that as a as the biggest compliment. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, if you remember, James uh, was was back in the show. I, I think it was. Whew. Two or three years, and I talk, I talk about David Cronenberg. Um, yeah, and that was a that was certainly uh, quite a good time. So we brought him back for Dare Argento, and I guess um, I don't know. I always like to start with something with something personal, James. I want to I want to ground you in reality and, and be a relatable character for our our listeners and our audience. So I guess let's just kind of start out. I mean, Dare Argento. What can you remember? Sort of the first exposure you you had to one of his films, and what was like? What was it about? It was like. Oh man, I love this thing. Um, it's a good question. Um, basically, thinking back, it's probably from the um, I would say the video store days and like Ugh. friends of mine, like in you know, in high school, and we we would always talk about horror films and like reading Fangoria, which Fangoria is actually back now, so it's kind of like oh. this nostalgic trip, you know. Yeah, it just came back as a quarterly now. Okay. Um, but. So, reading Fangoria or the other um, um, magazine that was out that Fangoria also published, which was uh, Gore Zone, which was the more gross stuff. <laughs> um, perfect name. So, we, you know, I like you know certain directors would like pop up, you know, like George Romero and like like you said Cronenberg, certain people like that. And then when it came to like foreign films and like you know, a lot of my friends were like. I don't know what I don't know if they were afraid to watch them like oh I don't want you know I don't have to I don't want to have to read like the screen and I always thought that was so stupid but <laughs> the good thing about you know especially Argento films were they were made for the world so when he made a film you know in Italy it was made like you know they dubbed it so mm. they always had dubs and sometimes the great thing about a lot of Italian cinema are you know the dubs themselves so the probably the first exposure i had to him was of i'm i'm when i'm trying to think back it, it probably was suspiria mm -hmm. which now has been remade yes it's like all these nostalgic things coming back but and suspiria was 
and that's actually not one of the films I, I'm I'm picking. So oh wow! Just, okay. I, yeah, I'm throwing it out there right away. I'm not I'm not actually picking that film, but oh, and it's and no, and, it, and it's not because I dislike the film. I actually really love it. I just think everyone picks that film. Yeah. Everyone yammers on about Suspiria, and for good reason. But I I think of his films, it probably gets the most confused. Um, like. I don't know. People are confused, I think, sometimes about that film because they always call it um, a giallo, mm-hmm. and and it, you know, I, I kind of get pissed at that because it's not a giallo at all. Mm-hmm. It's a supernatural witch movie. Like yeah. it's it's there's nothing. Yeah, it's a like a lot of his films and the giallo or even like later on. Like yes, there's a a killer that you never see and you're not sure who it is and it's like maybe like like. They're in the darkness and they're killing people violently. But that I don't know. I, I just always felt people like, like, oh, it's a great Jalo. I'm like, it's not a Jalo. What are you talking about? Like, his early films are straight up Jalo, mm-hmm. you know. And then some of his later ones are, you know, Jalo. Even his some of his really awful films that he did <laughs> are are you know are in the Jalo um, um, realm. But yeah, Suspiria had to be the first one. I I just fell in love with the visuals. I felt you know that's a film. Every time it's in theaters and they're playing it either in thirty five or now they're playing in like the four K um, version. And uh-huh. you, I always tell people definitely see it in, like with a crowd. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a great thing. But that's the film that kind of opened my eyes to not only Dario Argento, but then it, it it led to other like Italian filmmakers like Sergio Martino and Lucio Fulci mm-hmm. and Mar- even Mario Bava, who personally, I, you know, he originated the the giallo. Mm-hmm. And and then Argento, to me, kind of perfected it in his own way after Mario Bava. And then, hell, even later on, Argento helped out... Um, Mario Bava's son, Lamberto Bava, like yeah. he pro- he produced Demons and Demons Two, mm-hmm. and um, one of my other favorite filmmakers from that time period is uh, uh, Michel Suave, who made um, The Church with um, Argento. But he's the guy who made um, one of my favorite films called Cemetery Man, or oh yeah, okay, or, or Della Morte, Della Morte. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh wow, shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you seen that one? That's good. Yeah, that's a. That's a fun one. <laughs> that was Rupert, Rupert Everett and like just crazy, crazy shit in that one. That yeah, that sorry, and not not to hijack you or interrupt what you're saying, uh, or to get us completely off topic, which I'm already doing less than you know 15 minutes into this podcast. But yeah, Cemetery Man. I remember. Okay, so I, uh, I, I I spent a semester at Temple University in Philadelphia, and that was my first like big city experience kind of like living and getting around and there used to be a, a chain and by chain i think there's only two of them of video stores called TLA and oh okay i've heard of TLA yeah 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 I, i'm pretty sure both of them have you know uh gone the way of the dodo as most video stores have even like small independent ones um rest yeah. in peace video free brooklyn but uh, and and one of the this one of the stores had like uh the the films kind of arranged by genre and filmmaker and that kind of, and I remember seeing Cemetery Man and picking it up and just renting it and taking it back and watching it and just being like what the hell did I just see it's like uh because the premise is basically like, oh there's this guy who works in a cemetery and his job is basically to put back down the corpses that get reanimated <laughs> so you read that and you think. Oh, this is going to be a really cool horror film, and then you watch it, and it's yeah, not 
really a horror film at all. It's like this weird slapsticky, dark, comedic meditation on mortality, in which I believe he, if I recall correctly, because it's been over ten years, he falls in love with uh, the head of a woman that comes back. Yeah, and she becomes, you know, like, this, you know, she's like, of course, then has a body and is like fully, you know, nude throughout. And it's kind of funny in retrospect because it's Rupert Everett. Yeah. Who, you know, like you could, that's how good of an actor he is too. Mm-hmm. So, but um, going back and actually going back to the whole video free Brooklyn, I always forget that they closed because now I don't know if, um, I don't know how they got them. Maybe they bought out, maybe they bought them out, like not bought Aaron Hillis out, but like, I guess when he had to close the store, now the Draft House has their Video Vortex um, rental store, and it's all Video Free Brooklyn stuff. Oh, is it open now? It's open. I actually went there the first day not knowing it was open. Hmm. Like, it was a few weeks ago, and I kind of... This is another side note, but if you're in Brooklyn or in New York City, you can actually rent movies for free. Um, as long as you bring them back in the span of, like, whatever it is, two days or whatever. Um after that then of course they charge you but i just happened to go in and i'm like oh this is really awesome um let me let me look at some stuff and i actually rented this movie called the taint which um oh, is uh yeah it's uh it's exactly it's it, the title itself you you it's actually even crazier than the title but uh it's, it, it's a trauma trauma put it out oh uh, there we go okay that explains yeah it then. but yeah it's about I'm not even going to go into that, but, but it was cool because I'm like, oh, and I'm, when I was looking actually at the disc when I br- got it out, I'm like, oh, Video Free Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, that's where, I guess that's where all their, like all the films from the, coll- you know, the collection from the store went, mm-hmm. I guess, the, I guess the draft house. I know Aaron's always been friends with the draft house and, and you know, Tim League and all these people. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing instead of just selling it to whoever random people i guess i don't know if he donated it or got a little whatever but it's cool that they're not gone to waste they're they're still being able to be uh cherished by film fans you know in the new york city area well that's awesome and so i guess yeah if there's anyone listening who is uh, in the new york city uh and specifically brooklyn area head to uh the alamo draft house i guess uh near uh is it the 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 DeKalb market? There we go. It's it sounds. Yes. It's it's difficult for me to get that out. But yeah, that uh, that's what's one of my favorite movie theaters, and that's even more of a reason to go there. And and not to sidetrack us even more, but Troma, uh, I young Jim long ago passed up an internship at Troma. So. Oh, you passed up one because I actually had an internship there. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was a- I was I was an intern there for. It's it is a small world because I actually recently was at a like meetup for um my friend Tom who came from Texas to kind of visit everyone and we're all it's like six of us there and four out of the six of us interned at Troma at some point <laughs> and I'm just like that's why that company was around because Lloyd Kaufman never paid anybody a dime <laughs> okay because yep. like like when I was there this is how long ago it was it's when Troma did the music video for um um, newfound glory oh man jeez that's that's how long ago because i remember i was offered to go and help with that you know filming and it was in california i was like oh yeah i would love to oh but you got to pay your way and find a place to stay and but i'm like <laughs> i just kind of stared at the the one guy i'm like 
Um, I'm gonna have to pass. I'm gonna have to. I'll I'll just sit in this really dank room and yep. go through all these penis puppets and stuff. You know. Yeah, not not all of us can unfortunately become uh, or have the career of, of James Gunn after working at Trauma Productions. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, and that's a relevant story too, right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So I guess getting us back on topic, I think to add to this this idea of why you also avoided Suspiria, it's also one of those things like. Night of Living Dead or like The Exorcist or Psycho. It's like at this point, what are we what are we going to add to that conversation? People have been talking about Suspiria for decades, so it's like I, I get that. But um, you you kept mentioning the word Jalo, and so that was actually going to tie into something I wanted to say anyway of this because I remember when I posted on the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page that I was covering Dario Argento, I called him a Jalo filmmaker, and and then I kind of had to step back like, wait, is that an accurate assessment? Which seems you would agree with that, but I guess for people who are not familiar with the term or have read it but never known how it's pronounced, G-I-A-L-L-O. What what kind of, what is Jalo? If you could kind of explain the archetypes of it or where it came from, anything that kind of like help explain, like, okay, set the groundwork for what we're getting into here. Well, basically, the whole term Jalo, which it is Italian for yellow, mm-hmm. um, it comes from, like, basically there were these mystery novels in Italy during post-fascist you know, post-fascism, and there were these really cheap paperback mystery novels, and they all had yellow covers. Mm. And they were, you know, I'm not sure how much, you know, lire they were. Like, I wish I could have some of these because they always had the coolest covers, and it's kind of like, in a way, like how um, the guy Grady Hendrix wrote the book Paperbacks from Hell and talked about all these really great um, paperback novels that were cheaper um, with crazy covers, like just the most bizarre shit, and basically, <laughs> the film, the films, you know, of of the Jalo itself are kind of like a kind of a cross between like a slasher, like basically, the slasher film comes from the Jalo. So like, a lot of times, certain um, slasher films borrowed a lot from certain Jalo films, like um, Friday, Friday the Thirteenth borrowed a lot from. I, I forgot which Bava. I'm gonna sound stupid. It's it's from a Mario Bava film. Like it might be Twitch for, Twitch of the Death Nerve that he, Sean Cunningham kind of barred like I think two of the kills from it. And um, what's cool about that is it's, it's like the psychological horror. Um, there's a lot of sex thrown in. Sometimes you know sometimes supernatural. But like I said, Suspiria is a little more on the supernatural side. But and it always has a mystery to it and. A lot of times you have a detective that's trying to find out or some young, like, either guy or girl trying to find out who's doing this killing. And most of the time, and I think this is what I love about them, most of the time it's the most, like, asinine, bizarre, <laughs> out out in left field explanation as to why so-and-so is killing everybody mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what i like adore about them because sometimes the more nonsensical the giallo the more i love it and like some of them like a lot of like the lesser known ones um are just like you you kind of like sit there and you're like okay these kills are insane these are awesome but i think it's this guy or i think it's this girl and then at the end it's like a guy you saw for like seven seconds who was staring at one of the women and then you find out his you know his mother was a prostitute and like it gives us explanation you're like 
okay, where the hell did that come from? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like slasher films. Nine times out of ten, to me, are a lot of times are very cut and dry. Like, okay, you know, why does sometimes there's no explanation? Like, like the first Halloween, there was no explanation. It's like mm-hmm. he's crazy. He's killing people on Halloween night. Yeah. Okay, that's all you need to know. Um, you have like Friday the Thirteenth. The you know Mrs. Voorhees is killing these young people because her son was left to die, and she wants she wants revenge on even though these people didn't do the killing. She still wants revenge on all young people at this camp. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want this camp opened again. Then they get crazier. But the Jalo itself is just, you know, and it's not really just an Italian thing because what's funny about the, the Jalo is that other countries then kind of borrowed the idea of the Jalo. Like a lot of like Spanish, like there's a lot of good Spanish Jalo, or at least in that kind of realm. Like I'm not sure if. Spain had a different term mm-hmm. for like the Jalo, but even America, like, um, there's one really great movie that's actually written by um, John Carpenter, but he didn't direct it. Was The Eyes of Laura Mars? Okay, and and it's to me it's the like that and um, Dressed to Kill by Brian De Palma are like uh. two American Jalo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they're more on the Jalo side than the slasher side. Because slasher, like, a little more trashy. Even, I mean, don't get me wrong, Dress to Kill is trashy, but <laughs> it's it's trashy, but very stylized trash. Yeah, you know, which is the Palma in a nutshell. But, but yeah, and and that's what I kind of love. Like, they, you know, a lot of times they just throw in like nudity just because, like, mm-hmm. a shower scene out of nowhere, and like Argento himself, you know, he like his Jalo um, are ultra violent, and a lot of times he um especially later on from like i think um from the 70s like let me see what year was that yeah from 74 to 85 he was married to um this actress uh daria nicolodi and she tends to die in like all his films (laughs) which is maybe why they were only married for 11 years Mm -hmm. because you know he killed her all the time so i mean (laughs) it's kind of weird like that i mean you know but what can you do yeah and and now what was it was part of the I don't even necessarily want to say appeal or draw, but I guess part of the, I guess par for the course in Jalo, was it, I mean, was there sort of that visceral element and that titulation because a lot of times it was sort of, they were dealing with like a low budget, so they kind of had to have something to kind of draw people in it, or is that an unfair assessment of, of the genre as a whole? I know, I mean, it's, I mean, really, I mean, some were low budget, like, like ultra low budget. You Some you can tell, the difference and then some like you know argento you know argento his father was a big big time producer and um and argento comes from the world of italian filmmaking and at its height you know in the 60s and the 70s like you know people always forget um dario argento co-wrote once upon a time in the west (laughs) which is one of the greatest westerns of all time and he wrote a lot of westerns he wrote a lot of the and he like cut his, you know, he got his start just in film, and then he just kind of branched away, and then just kind of got the ball running with, you know, the Jalo itself. But I mean, a lot of them, you know, they use. I mean, the problem is a lot of times people look like nowadays they look at a lot of films as mis, you know, misogynistic, mm-hmm. and I get it. Like there is a lot of misogyny in, especially in a lot of these Italian. Um, 
Jalo films. Um, because a lot of times the women are, you know, brutally killed. Like they are, they're brutally killed. Like a lot of times, you know, da- a lot of times it's damaged like to their bodies, like in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like almost almost like because they're sexual, they get killed worse. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Men get killed. Not as not as awful, at least in, in a lot of the ones I've seen over the years. But I mean, a lot of times that's a lot of lot to do with Italian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because being a Catholic country, um, it's almost like it's weird. It's like I always kind of find it funny that you know, as a very religious country, they shun like certain things, but then at the same time, they also embrace like these ultra violent horror films. <laughs> <laughs> that are dealing with stuff. So it's like the violence is okay towards it, but but then again, like, you know, some of the greatest filmmakers come from Italy, you know, Fellini and Pasolini and stuff, and they dealt with sexuality in a whole different way. Yeah. And and it's kind of like a that's kind of what I love about Italy and then it's kind of what's sad what like um the Italian film industry just almost died in like the late eighties, early nineties to the point where a lot of these filmmakers then went to like TV because TV was still thriving and is still thriving today in, in Italy. But hmm. yeah, it's, it's very odd when you look at the history, because like what I love about and this is just a separate like, you know, side note, but the Italian um, film industry kind of killed itself by, um, you know, you had like Argento and filmmakers like that that were doing these like original in, in, in their way films. But then you had them especially in the late 70s and early 80s, aping a lot of popular film genres. Or, like, if a film did really well, like, in America, Mm -hmm. Italy was, like, right away copying it. And, like, (laughs) and what happens when you copy something and then you copy that copy and you copy that copy and you copy that copy, they start, you know, it's so translucent that it's, you know, crap. And, like, you know, when Conan the Barbarian did well here, (laughs) <laughs> then you had like 20 knockoffs when <laughs> Escape from New York did well 20 knockoffs and Alien did well you had so many knockoffs and what what I love is sometimes they would be even more bizarre cuz like like you know an Alien knockoff then becomes Alien 2 in Italy and it's before Aliens came out so <laughs> okay but what's weird is then they mixed in the Terminator in an Alien film <laughs> So it's like this weird mashup, and it's like because of that, it's almost so original that they copied two things. They kind of threw them together, mm-hmm. like peanut butter and jelly. You know, like oh, let's just put it together. Oh, it works. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, and that's kind of what I love. And like a lot of times, you know, they um, base a lot of stuff on different um, classic writers. Like um, a lot of stuff is like adapt. Well, adapted or even kind of like thrown in there like Edgar Allan Poe a lot of times especially the black cat itself like that story was like a da- like Argento did a version of the black cat in um uh, two evil eyes yeah exactly yeah he did that and then um Sergio Martino did your vice is a locked room and only I have the key which <laughs> is one of the best titles ever for a film <laughs> um and that's the other thing a lot of times Jalo films have like amazing titles that yeah catch your attention like i mean going into argento's you know his early stuff you have um one of the films i'll just throw in one of the films i'm gonna um pick out there is you know a little harder to like 
I didn't want to find one that was really hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would have picked, I would have originally picked his first film he made, which was is one of my favorites, which is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Okay. The problem with that one, that one's kind of, like you can easily get a Blu-ray of that one, but I wanted to pick one that was. You can get one. You can get it streaming, and this one is streaming on um, Amazon Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. For for you know, if you have Amazon Prime, it's up there, which is uh, the Cat O' Nine Tales, and that okay. was the second film. And and the first the first three films he made, it's um, it's his animal trilogy. So you had the Bird <laughs> with the Crystal Plumage, you had the Cat O' Nine Tales, and you had uh, Four Flies on Velvet. And okay. those are like the first three films he made, and they're all. They're not connected by any story, but they're connected by this whole animal, like kind of motif. And kind of love this one because this one he actually got um, Carl Malden in it and James Franciscus. Who, if you know James Franciscus, he was um, he's in the second um, Planet of the Apes film. He kind of took over. Okay. For Charlton Heston, really rugged, good-looking guy, and um, he plays a a reporter. See and again. It's always either a detective, a reporter, something, you know, something like that. And he um, becomes friendly with um, Carl Malden's um, blind journalist who's retired. And they're trying to solve this um, series of murders connected to some pharmaceutical company. And they're like doing experiments and they become targets of the killer now. Very simple, like very simple story. But again, it's it's all about just the insanity of what you know what Argento brings to the table like he and this is like kind of like a whole thing with all of them like he works so well with a combination of visuals and sound and like music and like kind of what I love about it is he which is I'm actually trying to word it in a, in a certain way like he he does so much with that that sometimes the story itself doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're kind of looking at scene to scene and you want to know where it's going. And what I love about that one is, like, it did amazingly well in Europe. It, like, everywhere in Europe it blew up. But in the United States, he, um, it bombed. It, mm-hmm. it you know, bombed when it came out. And supposedly it's, which is bizarre to me. I don't know when this comment, you know, was written about, but supposedly it's Argento's least favorite of his films. <laughs> and then I think to myself, has he watched his last 10 films? Because the last 10 films of his are not good. <laughs> um, the music is by uh, Morricone and it's, you know, any yeah. Morricone and it's amazing. Um, it's one of the long, which we're like, it's a lot of like Jalo tend to be like 90 minutes. Argento doesn't give a shit about that. He's, I'm going to make it 112 minutes. Like you're going to watch this film and you're going to sit there and, and wait for it and wait for it. And then like, it's just so much fun. Like I, I, I mean, I personally love it. Like, I mean, it was filmed in like Berlin and Rome and it's just, I don't know. It just, it's to me, it's just, a very one of his underrated films, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and of course, you know, if, if people aren't familiar what a cat o nine tails is, it's a multi-tailed whip. It's actually not a kale, a, a cat itself, but um, <laughs> but um, but it also refers to the number of leads that 
the two main protagonists are following to solve this murder. So it's kind of like a multi, you know, multi-level um, title, and it's also like I had like it's somewhere in storage because since the last time we spoke, you know, a lot of stuff has happened in my life. So sure, I have a lot. I have a lot of different posters and stuff, and one of my favorite posters is the Italian theatrical release of this film mm. where it's Il Gatto a Nove Code <laughs> and it, I have that poster that a friend sent me years ago and it's somewhere one day it'll be hung up again <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I love it I mean and I think to me if you're going to go into one of his um, Jalo films I think Cat Nine Tales out of the three I think it's the, like personally I think Bird with the Crystal Plumage is better Mm-hmm. As a film, okay. I think it is a better film, but Cat on Nine Tails kind of has, you know, a little more, little um, he to me he Bird with the Crystal Plumage was him proving himself not only to himself and to the world, but also to his father that he can make his own films. Okay, and this one is like to me just solidifying that, and it's just yeah, I I, I don't want to really say too much about the film itself because I think. As opposed to some of the other films I'm going to talk about later, this one is kind of you know, you know, A B C. Not some of his other films are like A, then it goes to like Z, then it goes back to F. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like all over the place. This one is one of his more um, um, linear, I guess you could say, linear films where it's like beginning, middle, end. Okay. You know, so yeah. Now you you've you just said a whole lot, and so there's so many things that I kind of want to uh, respond yeah, respond to. So I guess I'll start back from the very beginning. Um, well, not the very beginning, but I'm, I'm being hyperbolic, of course. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's fun that yeah, you you sort of mention um, how something that that catches on or or that originates in America and how Italy it sort of would catch fire there and then duplicate it because the you know. It's not that far of a hop, skip, and a jump away to go from horror to the Western. And, of course, the Spaghetti Western, which was um, <laughs> so-called because of the, the, the shoestring budgets that they had making those things. I mean, Sergio, uh, Sergio Leone, an, an Italian yeah. filmmaker, I, I mean, became so famous and really elevated the, the Western and the Spaghetti Western in particular to such an art form that eventually he kind of destroyed the genre uh, yeah. in, in a way, too. I mean, you don't really see Westerns that much these days, and that's because the market became so oversaturated, people just eventually kind of got sick of them. Um, and also this idea of of uh, taking something and imitating it and duplicating it. I'm reminded of um, another Giallo filmmaker. You mentioned him, Lucio mm-hmm. Fulci, who did mm-hmm. Zombie 2, which was, like, uh-huh. I guess, was it the unofficial sequel to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead um or 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 yeah. and he did I think he also did a, a recut of Dawn of the Dead as well am I correct well well no uh, it's funny oh F- no Fulci like it, it we're going back to Argento Argento actually recut Dawn oh, of the that's Dead that's what it is yeah okay and he made it zombie okay. in Italy and I love that it's such a weird thing to say cuz it's like okay so because he got some of the funding from Argento and his father, and then they recut it and they put the Goblin score. Yeah, and, and Goblin is one of my favorite bands. I'm get, actually going to see them in a couple of months. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, because they there's like three different versions of the band though, but that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, and it's great because like yeah, Zombie Two is Zombie here because there was no zombie 
film here in America. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, of course, like you said, they they always know how to destroy something in a beautiful <laughs> way. So then there's like five of the zombie films: there's Zombie Three, there's Zombie Four, Killing Birds, there's Zombie Five, After Death, there's <laughs> Zombie, there's a Zombie Six supposedly. Uh-huh. It's and it's like really do you have to keep doing it but um but yeah like and and that's the thing like i i, I love that you made that point like like leon kind of destroyed the western and he did and it's sad because there's a lot of really good spaghetti westerns that are not even leon's films like the great silence is mm-hmm. a mass to me it's a masterpiece and but every so often you'll get a western again like you know in the 90s you had unforgiven yeah you know and that was like and and look and look who it was it was freaking clint eastwood who became big because of the <laughs> yeah. spaghetti western you know <laughs> yeah like he could he couldn't get a job here anymore so he went to italy and then he became a superstar and mm-hmm. he came back here and he was dirty harry you know it's like <laughs> it's such a weird world we live in but the italians knew how to cast faces mm-hmm. you know and that's a whole other you know side story like like with certain actors like Lee Van Cleef, you know, mm-hmm. this face he had and like he couldn't get a job here anymore, which is or Henry Silva. Like Henry Silva has like one of the best faces ever and like and he's from Brooklyn, New York. And he couldn't <laughs> and he couldn't even get a job in America because they said, Oh, you're too ugly. What the <laughs> hell? You know what I mean? But it's Hollywood. Right. Italy like, oh, if you're ugly, you're beautiful. Awesome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I kinda love that, you know? Um I love that so much. In in <laughs> That is, that is pretty fun. I, I had no idea that was the case. Um, I, and, and I, I so and I want to also get back to Suspiria a little bit, just because I kind of want to uh, pull oh, yeah. a, pull apart Jalo as well a little bit, because you you talk about how you have qualms with, uh, well, no, Suspiria is not a, a Jalo. It has characteristics, but then you add this supernatural element. Now, is it? Does something supernatural necessarily disqualify it from being Jalo, or is it kind of one of those things where, like, a genre starts one way and then eventually you kind of just get uh, derivations of it as sort of time time goes by? Because I'm thinking, you mentioned like Spanish Jalo, and uh, it 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 keyed something in me, and I just looked it up. Uh, there's this, I, I think it's a Spanish mm-hmm. uh, film called Tombs of the Blind Dead from 1972. Oh. Yeah, uh, um, Osirio, right? Like, um, yeah, Osirio. Yeah, yeah. Amando de Osorio, like, yeah. Um, yeah, there's like five of them, I think, or four of those films. Okay. Of, like, they're basically like the Knights Templar. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's, yeah. What, and that's what it was. And, and I saw I saw it as a teenager. I bought it I bought it somewhere. I think I bought it online because as, a, as an immature teen, I was turned on by the fact that it, it <laughs> teased out kind of a lesbian romance, in it, which is very, very tame in the actual movie itself. It is, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it was this idea of... There were, and I can't really remember, but if it was sort of like supposed to be a mystery as to what was killing these people, but it was, yeah, it, it, it was sort of these undead Knights Templar that were coming back for revenge. And, and I'm also kind of thinking now of um, uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, uh, which I remember seeing that, and and like the the title made it seem like it was going to be kind of schlocky. And I remember it was actually very interesting because, uh, have, well, I guess first and foremost, have you have you ever seen that one? Yeah, that's what the one with the really racist an uh, asshole cop. Yeah, with, like yeah. he hates he hate like he hates the two main yeah. young people in it like for no reason at all. No, like, yeah. and he's like awful. He's like like he's saying awful things. And I I, I actually really like that one. That one's a very underrated zombie film. It's, actually, it was it was interesting to me because I I think for for 
listeners, if you haven't seen it or even heard of it, it's basically this idea of a. I guess it's a. Uh, a he's a, a. I think he's a former criminal that he kind of gets out of jail and goes back home. Which right. his arrival back home also uh, coincides with these uh, experiments that that the company is doing on like to, uh, trying to use radioactivity or something to try and kill bugs in a, in a way which won't kill crops, and that ends up <laughs> reanimating the dead and. <laughs> The dead are coming back and murdering people, but there's no proof of it, so this one racist asshole cop assumes it's this former criminal. So he's sort of, this guy is trying to kind of prove that it's like, no, the dead are coming back while well, the cop is chasing. It's, it's kind of got this weird, um, these, this, uh, this I, I, I just lost the term for it. But yeah, it, it, is, it added sort of like an intellectual kind of actual crime element to it, and this guy trying to prove his innocence... One also cutting in scenes of intense brutality. I remember uh, very vividly in my head that was the first time I'd ever seen uh, a zombie rip a woman's breast off of her body. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, that was that was yeah, and, that, and that's a, a Spanish Italian co-production too. Yeah. So so, so. it it does <laughs> seem like yeah there there's I, I guess this is a long way of saying. <laughs> does, does does the supernatural necessarily stand apart from Jala, or is it just kind of like how the the genre sort of started evolving? I think, I mean, I, you know, if you if you kept making the same like you know film over and over again, it would it would get boring. So some filmmakers would divert and go, okay, well, let me throw in a little bit of um, you know a ghost story in there, or. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you know, almost like a Scooby Doo type element. Like, is it a ghost? Is it you know what I mean? You don't yeah. know until the end. I, I I just always looked at Suspiria as like this. It's it's a supernatural thriller, mm-hmm. like horror film, and yeah, there's killings going on, but it's also a more overarching story too. Because ultimately, it became a trilogy. It's the Three Mothers trilogy. You in 1980, you had Inferno, which mm-hmm. was the second part, and then. 2007 you had the um the film mother of tears which the less said about the better <laughs> um but i mean you know i, I don't hate i mean I, I shouldn't say i don't hate people that call it a shell i just think it's it to me it's more than that like it's a lot more going on especially with you know this ballet school you know and the underlying theme of like you know are are they like witches in there or are they are they the ones killing people? Is someone else? Like, is it the groundskeeper? Is it this? And you know, ultimately, you you know, you find out what it is, and it's it's straight up. You know, there's it's all about these there's there's three fates and three graces, and there's also three sorrows. You know, mm-hmm. like and one of them is Mother Suspiriorum, which is Our Lady of Sighs, mm-hmm. which is the Suspiri. You know, and it's kind of weird because. When they made the film, like that one especially, they kind of, it's almost like a fairy tale. Like, I, I, you know, like when I want, you know, every time I watch it, I see something new within Suspiria. That's why, like, I really love that film. I just, you know, also, it's not really streaming anywhere, which is kind of strange. Like, str- yeah, that is like, weird. Like, that's a big, it might be streaming on, like, I think it was streaming on something, um, like 2B TV, but they have, like, commercials and, I, I kind of hate that, but like this stuff of like to me like Alice in Wonderland and Pinocchio and like it kind of goes and like especially like if you had like an Italian grandmother, they tell you these weird you know like almost like their own fairy tales about witches and like you know if you did something bad you know 
they weren't like pleasant fairy tales. It's always like if you did something bad or you did some, you're gonna die. Well, I mean, the, you know? the, yeah, the original versions of like Grimm's fairy tales and stuff that yeah. we based the Disney movies on, like, are are all quite horrible and brutal oh. when it comes down to it. I know, and I and I kind of love like when once in a while you'll have a filmmaker adapt. Like you know, I, I forgot who the de- like made like Snow White, but it was more of a horror film. Okay. And like I think Sigourney Weaver is like the you know the witch in it or something, and like it's like more brutal. Like it's actually like closer to what the original story actually intended, as opposed to sweet. You know, of course there's there's darkness in it, but it's more susceptible like towards children. Mm-hmm. You know, they they sugarcoated it, and I actually that that was the thing that kind of. Like as a kid, my dad gave me an actual original version of Grimm's fairy tales, and they're horrible. Like they're <laughs> they're, they're they're like so scary, and I'm like, oh my god, this mm-hmm. is like I'm re- I remember reading them, and they were like frightening, you know. Like, and I was reading like Stephen King at the same time as a kid, and I'm like, this is scarier because mm-hmm. these are stories that you think are going to be pleasant, yeah, yeah, and they're not. Yeah, I, I mean, for instance, listeners. Um... In uh, Cinderella, the Disney version, when when he's coming, the prince is coming around with, with the glass slipper, and we see that the 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 evil stepsisters can't fit their foot in because it's too fat. In in the original fairy tale, I believe the they they cut off their toes and their heels <laughs> to try and fit into the glass slipper. So it's it's oh, that. God. Um, and and James, I believe that I've just looked it up. The the movie you might be talking about is 1997's Snow White: A Tale of Terror. Uh, yes, uh, there it he, is. Here, here's, here's the premise. In this dark take on the fairy tale, the growing hatred of a noblewoman, secretly a practitioner of the dark arts for her stepdaughter and the witch's horrifying attempts to kill her, um, directed by a guy named Michael Cohn, C-O-H-N, who has directed nothing I've ever heard of before, um, oh, okay. and, and yet somehow was nominated for three primetime Emmys Wow. Uh, for costume design, makeup, and... Outstanding lead actress in a miniseries or a movie, Sigourney Weaver. There you go. Um, <laughs> but okay, now uh, let's—I'll uh, move away from Suspiria because we've been talking awful a lot about a movie that I'm not even going to be watching. Um, <laughs> you can watch it if you want. You could be a, well, a, yeah. a, a an extra feature. You know? Yeah, okay, but I will not be covering. But yeah, you're yeah. you're right. According to JustWatch.com, uh, Tubi TV and Hoopla are the only two streaming services where you can find Suspiria, okay. which is strange. But. Um, and, we, and you don't have to get into too many details about this, but you've mentioned two other really significant Giallo filmmakers in uh, Mario Bava and Lucio Fulci, and I've seen a couple Fulci films. I can't get into his stuff at all. It's not because really? it, 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 no, it, it's not because it's gory. It's because it's it's the, it's not important. But I guess um, no, no, I can understand that. No, I, I, he's a uh, what's it? I'm trying to think of a. A term he's he's a he's a very strange filmmaker because like some of his films are pretty hard to get into i i agree with that like even zombie like i love it but it's it's not for everybody it's yeah. it's it ain't it ain't no dawn of the dead <laughs> Let's no, say that no it's not and i remember and it, it's just i i don't want to say i found his films to be immature because that that term is so broad that it could really but but it it did strike me as that stuff where it's like hey i have a bit of budget and i can make gory things so i'm going to spend so much time in terms of runtime focusing on the gore where it's like i I don't really want to watch a guy get eaten by spiders for 10 minutes i kind of want to get on with with (laughs) with the plot and then when it gets to the plot it's not really there but 
Um, I guess, could you talk a little bit about these three guys, and obviously we're focusing on Argento, and, and Argento has sort of, it seems like, maybe kind of stood above these two for you, but I guess how, how does... How does he kind of differentiate himself from these two guys who are also very influential, not just in the country, but in the genre as well? Well, I mean, like, with Fulci, like, to go on to Fulci real quick, he he was a workman. Like, he worked in every genre. Mm. Every genre. Like, he, he became more famous, funny enough, like, in America when he started doing his horror films. But before that, like, he was big. Like, you know, he made a lot of... He especially made a lot of spaghetti westerns. He made a lot of like, um, like, uh, what do you call it? Like crime films. He, like, he was all over the place, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like why, like, certain filmmakers have like a style to them, mm-hmm. and and like Fulci to me, like, the one thing like, I know it's a Fulci film, especially like his later stuff is when it's always violence against eyes. Like yes. your eye. Yeah. yeah your eye is gonna get mm-hmm. like you said, a spider's gonna eat your eye, uh nail's gonna go through your eye, a wooden stake. Some something's always like he loved that. And yeah. it's always weird when he shows like a an eye like for a long time and he doesn't do any damage to it. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, he's actually holding back. <laughs> um but I mean like you know, he made like um one a really good film that I think actually people forget is a Fulci film and it's the same year as the Cat o' Nine Tales is um, another animal title. Uh, it's a lizard in a woman's skin. I think that's actually a really good, like a really good film. Mm-hmm. And you know, a couple like next year, I think he made another one called "Don't Co- Torture a Duckling." Another oh yeah, animal. yeah, yeah. Fulci had like an obsession, I think, also with Donald Duck. <laughs> weird. It's weird because then, like in '82, he made like. Personally, I, I and I, I've seen a lot of sleazy films, and I still say um, the New York Ripper is one of the sleaziest. Like, <laughs> it makes you feel so dirty watching it. Mm-hmm. And it's about it. Really, ultimately, it's about a killer using a switchblade or like like a straight razor and killing mostly women, of course. But mm-hmm. um, the killer, when he's calling the cops and stuff, is it's doing Donald Duck's voice, <laughs> and it's so weird. That, like to even say that because it sounds so hysterical and when you watch it you laugh but it's also after he just like like garroted a woman like from like the groin all the way up to her chest and yeah. you're like like right and it's weird like he he would go back like you know he made freaking one of the most bizarre films conquest and conquest is like straight up like oh let, let me rip off every single like um sword and sandal movie but <laughs> But the guy uses like a laser, like a laser beam um, bow and arrow, <laughs> and I love it. But but again, he, especially his later stuff, it's a lot of his stuff just dealt with like that prolonged gore. Mm-hmm. And and as a, you know, in my teens and in my early twenties, I love that stuff. I was like obsessed with it. But then when the, a lot of them I rewatched like much you know many years later, and it's like. It takes a while to get to those gore scenes. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like okay, um, I don't really care about these people talking. Like it's not really interesting. And when you go to like Mario Bava, who he you know kickstarted the Jalo. Like he, I mean, hell, he died in 1980. So like he worked in every aspect of the business. He 
was big in the golden age of Italian horror. He not only directed and wrote screen, you know, screenplays, but he did special effects work, and and he was a cinematographer, and he just like did so many like great films, and like, but he, you know, hell, he started back then with the Hercules films, like with Steve Reeves. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. so like, and like, you know, when you look at that, and you go, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, he worked on a Kirk Douglas film, Ulysses, and. Um, Ulysses, I think in nineteen fifty-five, he did the special effects and the cinematography, mm-hmm. um, and then you know he did science fiction. Like, and the difference between like like Fulci and Bava and then Argento is Argento really never deviated away from the horror mm-hmm. genre. You know what I mean? Like he kind of stood there, and you know Bava would show like he would. I mean, hell, he made one of my favorite films of all time, Danger Diabolique. Mm-hmm. And that's completely away from horror. Like, it is pure, like, pulpy comic book, um, like, spy and, like, you know, like, thriller type stuff. But it's, like, so much fun and stuff. And he made Planet of the Vampires, which I still, to this day, when you watch Planet of the Vampires and then you watch Alien, there's so much... I don't know if he... I don't know if, you know, if Ridley Scott and Dan O'Bannon copied Planet of the Vampires, but... There's, there's like so many things that are just lifted from that. <laughs> um, oh, and the film I was trying to think of is A Bay of Blood is the one is it's a giallo, but it's really like the almost like a proto slasher and a lot of stuff in the Friday Teen film, especially like part two, I think was the one that copied a lot of that. But I think really that's the difference. Like you had you know a lot of filmmakers that would just you know italian filmmakers that would jump back and forth between genres and argento kind of just said you know what i'm good at making giallo you know giallo films and other horror oriented films i'm not going anywhere else so you won't see like like a comedy made by argento you won't see a sci-fi film Mm -hmm. by argento you won't see even to this day you won't see that like it's always horror of some (laughs) sort it's always like a thriller it's never ending beyond that and that's kind of like what made him amazing to me probably almost for a good 20 years Mm -hmm. like his from 1970 to like 87 and then there's a few bright spots but after that it's kind of like he tries to go back to the well and the problem is the world kind of went beyond what he was making yeah other filmmakers made better stuff you know like that almost cribbed from him Mm -hmm. and he never yeah, I mean that's a whole other thing, but like, yeah, it's it's always made me sad because I love the guy, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Some of the films now, it just kind of disappointment after disappointment. Yeah, I guess in and in, in my one of my first exposures to to Argento was we mentioned it earlier, Two Evil Eyes, which is just basically yeah. two short films that are adapt uh, adap- Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Argento did one, George Romero did the other. I think both of them are. Not I, I don't, not very good at all. I don't think it's no, a very good movie. I agree, I agree with that. I uh, agree. But and 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 so but you mentioned that he that he you know kind of kept going back to the genre, which of course has uh, dubbed him um, the one of the masters of horror. Which was yeah. uh, also Showtime did have the show Masters of Horror, which was only ran for two seasons. It was a horror anthology show. I I I loved it. Um, Me not everyone was a winner. Uh, in fact, I'd say probably half of them were not winners. Um, but yes, yeah, certain filmmakers 
got it and certain filmmakers didn't. Yeah, um, plus also, uh, I don't think that the, the guy who did Fear.com should be considered a master <laughs> of anything. Uh, <laughs> You're right about that. Oh my god, I forgot. I forgot. Which one did he do? Um, oh man, which one did he do? We oh. all scream for ice cream. Oh, oh yeah. Funny, like, funny thing about that one, I should have remembered that because I remember a friend of mine I used to work with, he hated that one so much. Like, he hated that episode. He just hated it. It's... But he would always quote it. Like, he would always, like, quote the, the clown in it. And, like, <laughs> and, and basically saying how bad it was. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, man. I know. I get it. Like, it's, stop it. It's, it's, it's so, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's so terrible. Um, but, um, Dario Argento was one of the filmmakers that had a, that had an installment in both seasons. And I think, yeah, both of them are actually remarkably effective. Um, Jennifer, Jennifer is stellar. I, I, I grew up knowing that comic story. Oh, that, so oh, I, oh, that's based on something. Yeah, yeah, that's based on a Bernie Wrightson um, comic story. I don't know what it was uh, first it appeared in, but I had a copy of it. I don't, I don't know why, but I for some reason I had a copy of this comic, and it's it was one of the most chilling comics I ever read as a kid because the comics actually even like more like because. Jennifer in that is even more horrific looking. Really? Like her face is just like, but I don't know. Like the the adaptation actually does get the the heart of the story of like she's awful, but for some reason sympathetic because of the way she looks and was about to be killed by whoever was the guy that was about to chop her head off. And I love it's just a cycle. You know, it's just a cycle that's going to keep going because she has this weird like power over men which is strange yeah in in i mean that was in being the i I think i saw that shortly after i i graduated uh from film school and uh being the the pretentious film student that i was and wanting to you know only really being drawn to horror that said something deep i i I thought it said whether it's there or not or i just extrapolated it from it i i thought it was something crazy about uh the story that really says like the power that sex has over men because it's yeah. this. It's this woman who is destroying his life, and yet she keeps on fucking him. So he just keeps her around, basically. Um, yeah. Oh, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and and pelts is pretty good too. Pelts is a lot of fun. It, it's got one of the yeah. craziest gore effects I've ever seen, in which Meatloaf <laughs> tears off his skin as though it's a shirt, uh, which is oh, wonderful. Man. I'm gonna have to rewatch that one. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I, I should also apologize to to Tom Holland, who did "We All Scream for Ice Cream." He is not the director of Fear.com. Oh, uh, oh yeah. He, he was actually the writer, uh, the writer on uh, Fright Night, the original Fright Night. So he's he's got some credibility. But uh, yeah, um, William Malone, who did do Fear.com and also the 1999 House on Haunted Hill, um, oh. his. His episode was one called The Fair-Haired Child, which I, I think is actually one of the only ones I didn't see in that series. But um. Well, it's funny. William, and it's weird about William Malone. I forgot he did Fear... Because I, I actually don't mind his House on Haunted Hill remake for what it is. It's it's pure 90s schlock. Yeah. Um, but he actually... He made a pretty good... Again, going back into knockoff films, he made a pretty good alien knockoff. Um, I think it's called Creature. Okay. I think it was one of and from the eighties, and it's a lot of fun. But there's never been a good copy, um, except for one. I think he sold on Blu-ray, but then he couldn't sell anymore because whatever company put it out was like, "Well, you can't put out your own version." And he's like, "But it's a different cut." And a whole cry. But he almost made a um, 
Lovecraft movie based in space, which then kind of became Event Horizon. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But like, but like he was going to make his own, and there's some storyboards out there. So if you look up William Malone, like Lovecraft horror space, hmm. some of the most horrific, like cool looking stuff ever. But you'll never see it though. You know, it'll never, it'll never get made. You know. Yeah. Well, in uh, one final note on on uh, Masters of Horror, which is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> One episode that never aired. Uh, oh yeah, the was, Miki film. Yeah, was directed by Takashi Miki, which <laughs> Mick Garrison was so uh, disturbing. They didn't even want to put it on Showtime. Uh, I know, which is which is hilarious, and also kind of ties in because when you're describing Lucio Fulci, I'm kind of like, oh, he sounds like the Italian Takashi Miki, and like he he'll basically do anything of any kind of genre, which is um, intriguing to me. But um, yeah. okay. One, I got one more question, just kind of general Argento questions before we get into the specifics sure. of the, the recommendations, one of which, of course, we already know. Um, but this is, I guess, for Argento and also for for, for you. Um, so you've said it yourself. You've seen a lot of sleazy films in your time. <laughs> and it basically, and it, it does seem like Argento stuff, Giallo stuff, there's a lot of, like you said, stuff which might turn people off. I mean, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of what might be mindless nudity. There's some misogyny. So what, I guess, how, and I, I have to take a, a second here to kind of figure out and formulate this question, but I guess, does the visceral stuff, if it's not something deeper, if, if, a, if an Argento film is not necessarily kind of commenting on the AIDS epidemic, like people think, <laughs> or, you know, the, the fly is maybe doing... Um, the viscera just for the sake of viscera, does that preclude it from being art or does that mean it shouldn't be taken seriously or it shouldn't be respected? I I mean, what, you know, as as someone who is sort of a a, a fan of that stuff, you also mentioned Brian De Palma, who also made a lot of his early career just making glorified schlock for the most part. And people love him. Um, so I I guess what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm always very curious because, um... I I myself am one of those people who is tempted to kind of like oh sure this movie looked cool but it was gross and just like for the sake of being gross and there's not much beyond that but does that preclude something from being artistic or being valid or being reexamined and and, and con- like kind of continuing on in, in film tradition basically no I mean and that's kind of like what I always feel about how horror gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone just thinks of horror films as the most lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's crap because, you know, the violence is done. But when it comes to certain filmmaking, you know, I, I understand it. And it's every genre. There's certain films that are like, you know, there's certain dramas that I think are just playing like the violin in such a way that I think they're schlocky and I think they're poorly made. Like something like um, the drama Crash, not the Cronenberg Crash. But the whole racism is oh, yeah. bad. Yeah, sure. Crash, you know. I hate that film. Like, that's a film I actually saw in theaters. And I just, I remember watching it and leaving when it came out and going, why why do people love this film so much? <laughs> and and since then, it's actually become one of those Oscar winners that people go, why did I win an Oscar? You know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it's funny in retrospect. But at the time, I had friends that would, like, would fight with me that would say, <laughs> How dare you not like this film? Like, oh, well, why? Because you think racism is good? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, like I always felt that was the stupidest thing people could say to me about that. I'm like, no, I just think it's, it's just playing, playing you like like a fiddle. 
Yeah. You know, it, it knows what it is. And, and, that, and, you know, I respect that part. It knew how to get that reaction. But with certain filmmakers like Argento, I think he takes the violence and, you know, takes these certain scenes, but he has this artistic quality to them. And the way he films them are like, and especially like films like Suspiria and like, um, you know, films like Tenebrae and and um, Deep Red, which is another one I won't mention, but Deep Red is fantastic stuff. But he does it in a way that you're, you're even if, like, and I, like I'll give you an example, like, like my mom. My mom, she likes horror films, but a lot of times she, you know, she's like, not forgetful, but she go, oh yeah, I think I've seen that. But for some reason, she remembers a lot of Argento films, and that's cr- and that's crazy to me. Like, like for some reason, the other day, like we were talking about stuff, and she she's like, oh, there's one film I remember watching like in the '80s, like, and she's trying to remember. I'm like, I don't know for sure, and she was describing it perfectly, and I'm like, oh, Deep Red. She's like, yeah, Deep Red, that one, yeah. I've you know, I love that film. I'm like, never knew that. Like, I never knew she loved Deep Red so much, and I was like, what? But but she remembers the scenes, and it's like the build up, and and that's a thing with especially with Argento, he, and that's like any masterful filmmaker, be it in any genre, but like, especially in horror where, and Carpenter does this too. Carpenter does it even with like, with less violence, so to speak in like Halloween and stuff where Hmm. build the tension and you build it and you build it. And then sometimes you'll give the release and you're satisfied. But sometimes the really good filmmakers will make you wait even a little longer and then they explode with it you know like they and it's like the most glorious like violent scene ever but it's filmed in such a way that it's almost like an artist is just like kind of doing paint strokes like like if you look at Suspiria like some of the violent scenes in that like if you pause it even though it's like horrific looking it's it's like almost like a painting because the way he frames the shots the way the colors like Argento like also loves to use like different color filters and different color lights to make this like almost surreal like feeling when you're watching them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I've always that's kind of why I've always like always gravitated towards this stuff, especially like meeting someone new and like talking about films and like maybe watching some films with someone and going, oh, have you ever seen you know you know any any Argento films? And they'll Oh, like, what are his films? And I'll go over them. Like, no, I never. I'm like, okay, I'll bring a few over. We'll watch. And, like, one of the films, the, the third film I'll mention is one that I've shown a lot of people that I think is a very underrated film. And everyone's always loved it, you know. But I hear I hear, I hear, the Yankee game going. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah so, sorry for that, everybody. Yeah, it, it's, it is. Uh, um, uh, James and I were talking before we started recording that um, – uh, I, I do, as I've mentioned in the past in this podcast, live above a sports bar. There's some fans outside. I, I assumed they were watching the Yankees game, being as it's Brooklyn, uh, because as of the, this recording, they are uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox are in game in, engaged in Game Four of the uh, uh, the I don't know if it's the NLDS or the ALDS. I'm sorry, I don't pay attention to baseball. And as and as we started recording, the Yankees were losing four to one, and at the bottom of the ninth. 
they're still losing four to one. So I'm not oh. sure what they're cheering for outside, unless they're they are Red Sox fans cheering for the Yankees' demise from the postseason. But which which could be. But um, yeah. No, I just like to think they're cheering for Dario Argento right now. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess when when uh, when you when you actually then get to the recommendations, then it's like we'll say like, uh, and the next one is this, and then I'll kind of pause and wait for them to. <laughs> Uh, to, to to cheer. No, they're they're the Sean Hannity crowd outside, so I'm not sure if Argento is going to be their bag per se. But no, probably um, not. Okay, but, uh, so. but yeah, like but going back into like the whole artistry of like violence, like yeah, you know, some filmmakers kind of just and and a lot of times you know I'll watch certain like slasher films and some I've never seen before, and like the violence is just like there, mm-hmm. and it's and it's almost like okay. The person got killed, but was it not even not that, like was it worth it? But was it like really that was it? Like like oh there was no flair to it. It's just kind of one and done. And sometimes some filmmakers that are really good will take like like something like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That oh, man yeah yeah that violence in that film is brutal and it's real and that is like but it's done so like matter of factly mm-hmm. and I think that's and I think that's that's artistic in that way but then Argento takes like the violence and like almost like he's almost like doing like a like a a Jackson Pollock he's throwing different colors on the screen and yeah it, you're it's so much it's so much of um overload that you almost forget that some woman's like kind of going through a glass window <laughs> getting getting cut up and then somehow a noose is going around her neck and choking her to death yeah, you know, it's like how the hell did it even happen? But it just does, and it's kind of like this, and and when and when it's done well, especially Argento, like he just, and a friend of mine always described Argento as a filmmaker who was, and he meant this as a compliment. He always said like, more sizzle than steak, <laughs> and I, and I agree. Like there's not sometimes there's not a lot of meat on the bone, mm-hmm. but that sizzle and that smell and that like taste that you first get. Mm-hmm is the best you'll ever have it's just ultimately a lot of times some of his films is just that but i kind of but he always meant it as a compliment which i kind of always love like because it almost sounds like an insult he's like he's like no no it's like sometimes you need that kind of a film sometimes you need something just with the looks and nothing else and i'm like yeah i mean you're right like you know like i don't I don't know how you believe like in this term like so bad it's good because i don't believe in that i i don't either I, the older I've gotten, like, I've used that term just to kind of describe films to, f- like, friends of friends, but mm-hmm. I'm like, if I love a film, I love it. It's not, <laughs> yeah. there's no reason, you know what I mean? It's just like, I love it. It's I've, I love a lot of trash, and I know it's trash, but mm-hmm. if you get enjoyment out of it, like, there's nothing worse than a boring film. Oh, yes. To me, that's the, the biggest sin is boring. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's something like a train wreck, and, like, even if it's, like, a filmmaker that is used to making really good films and then and that's kind of like you know argento like his later years they're not really some of them are train wrecks but sometimes they're just like boring messes like actually one film he made was called actually called giallo yeah and it's with adrian brody oh yeah but and i like adrian brody i don't i don't mind him at all but um it's all it's, it's so bad like i went into it thinking oh maybe it's going to be like really bad but to the point but 
it's like it's about a killer who has jaundice basically like he like <laughs> is that what it is when you have yellow skin yeah when you're your liver right? yeah your liver right. well no it's not exclusively from liver failure but i know right. that's yeah well whatever it is but but the twist in the film and it's not ruined for any, anyone out there here's the twist um adrian brody plays both the main hero and the killer with jaundice oh I, and it's like okay but <laughs> Supposedly he hated the film so much he tried he tried to sue Argento and his company to not put it out, which I think is even funnier. <laughs> well, I don't know if he wasn't getting paid. I don't know some weird stuff, but that's a bad film. It's just bad. It's mm-hmm. just like really this is. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of like explaining. It sounds much better than it is, but no. it, I was drunk while I was watching it too, and it was it it did not help. Yeah, at all. <clears throat> no, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I'm I'm not a, a proponent of so bad it's good. I I will respect an ambitious failure over a a bland Mm -hmm. success any day and i mean i say this uh, you know now october horror movies uh don't go see hellfest uh it makes sense and it goes from point a to point b and then to point c uh but it's incredibly boring Um, really yeah that's that's sad because i have some friends that liked it but i'm like it didn't to me it didn't look I don't know. That's all. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's not bad, but I, I can tell you, you know, <laughs> uh, I saw it with my girlfriend. We snuck some beer in, and, and even with that, it was still like the the jump scares were still like, yeah, I, I expected that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, fine. But, oh, it's what it owes. Okay, now yeah. that's not. Yeah. yeah, I got. It. Okay, so we, I, you know, I think we've been keeping our listeners uh, uh, on on pins and needles long enough, but I'm gonna keep them there for a little bit longer because I just have the one final question, which I ask all guests, is basically. Um, the filmmaker, uh, you know, the, the film you would always wanted to see from the filmmaker. So any film from Darragenta, whether it was something he might have been working on and abandoned, or a film someone else did in his style you think he could have done better, or even just, hell, here's an idea that I think would make a great Argento film. What is the Argento film you want to see? Huh, that's, that's a, that's a good question, because there's a lot of films he, um, always rumored to make mm-hmm. um huh i gotta i gotta go through my rolodex right now of, of <laughs> memories um um hmm. and, and, and yeah and while you're going through this i'll, I'll address the listeners and say that I, i've looked up jaundice uh the definition not pictures of it but um yeah a medical condition with yellowing of the skin or whites of the eyes arising from excess of the pigment i don't know how to pronounce that and typically caused by obstruction of the bile duct by liver disease. So I, I guess it, I don't know if it still means it, it's ex- exclusively related to liver disease, but that's jaundice for you, so. Okay, well, now, 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 the, now the audience knows exactly what jaundice <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, welcome to WebMD, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. Uh, let me see, because, like, I mean, there was always rumors of him um surprisingly enough which is this is kind of weird that um he was gonna make um a um a dead space like film like the the, ba- the video game adaptation video- yeah, well yeah because he helped developing that one which is strange because yes it's a horror game but it's also in space so it's almost yeah. it's also a sci-fi game oh, yeah. and he actually does a voice in the the italian version of the game but um <laughs> I mean, I. I mean, I kind of wish he. Um, I I actually really, really wish he made. Um, um, the 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 original whatever the original version of 
of, of his Dracula was going to be. Oh, okay. When that was actually getting, like, going to get made, it sounded really good, like, the story. And then then it came out, and it, it wasn't. Um, that, I mean, that's that's hard, because, like, with him, like, I almost, like... Because, like, the way he does, like, his stuff... I mean, hell, if, if, if I was to say, like, I, I kind of wish he... Um, I wish he would have made, like, other genres. Like, I, I kind of wish he would have jumped into, like, the, um... Especially, like, at his height in the 80s, if he could have jumped into, like, like uh, even a science fiction horror mm. motif. You know, like, one of his um friends and colleagues, um uh, Luigi Coetzee, who, in America, whenever his films came up, it was... He always went by the name Louis Coates. So, you know, because to make it sound like an American film, um, made a film called Contamination, which is also another alien knockoff film. But it's a lot of fun. But I kind of wish it was Argento would have made it more um, stylized and like mm-hmm. pretty, pretty. Like Coetzee, actually, it, it's actually really gross and like like people getting like acid and stuff. So it's like a little more on the gross side, <laughs> right? But I mean. Also, I mean, if I'm going to go into something else, like, I kind of wish he made his third part of his The Three Mothers film 20 years before he actually did make it. Because okay. I kind of felt like he was only making it to, like, well, let me finish this trilogy that I always talked about. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, 2007 Argento is not the same as 1987 Argento. Sure. If he had made it then, or, like, in, eight, in like the mid-80s, even, hell, even, like, early 90s, I think it would have been a it would have hit a mark much better. Instead, it it's no, it's it's not. It's it's not a good trilogy. It's a good two parter. Mm. The trilogy you don't have to see. Like that's one that's one trilogy you don't ever have to finish okay. at all. Like mm-hmm. ever. Ever. Don't ever even yeah, don't even start that, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the more I think about it, the more I hate it. I don't know. <laughs> um my my it was funny, my first response was like I would have liked to see what Argento could have done with Event Horizon until you kind of realize, like, I, yeah, I think actually Event Horizon is kind of how Argento would have made it anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but and, and I don't, I don't know why my brain went here, but then I just started thinking, what if Argento directed Basic Instinct instead of Paul Verhoeven? Huh. Um, hmm. it, it, I like that. That's actually that's a good suggestion because, like, yeah, because Paul Verhoeven did a great job with it, but. What what if an Italian like Jalo filmmaker made that film? It would have been more probably more sleazy actually. <laughs> I think it would have been a lot more sleazy and not at the same time maybe not have taken itself so seriously. Right. Um, that that movie I, I covered Verhoeven on this podcast and Basic Instinct was one of them and it's just that that film took itself so seriously it sort of bordered on parody. Uh, I think unintentionally, but that's a, a Paul Verhoeven's intentions are an entirely different discussion, of course. But okay, uh, so we can get into the the recommendations now, I suppose. Uh, but now that we've uh, strung you along long enough, listeners, and teased you as to our our past potential internship opportunities as well. Um, <laughs> all right, so we already know the first one is, is uh, the Cat of Nine Tails, and you've yeah. talked about it a little bit. Um, is there anything else you anything else you want to say about it, or should we kind of push on? What's what are you thinking? I think we could push on. I think I said a lot about that one without kind of going into all the little details of the actual film itself. Yeah, and, and now you, now you say the I guess the one question you say the Cat of Nine Tails is actually a whip. 
is there weird sex in this movie? There's a bit, yeah. There's a bit. <laughs> not, not as much as other ones, but there, there's a bit. Okay. So, so <laughs> yeah, so it is one of those um, ties into the animal theme, but also ties into some type of BDSM theme, I suppose. Okay. Um, kind of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I, I always tell myself I'm going to do this and always forget to... Listeners, once again, I, uh, as always, I will kind of uh, at least give a, a cursory reveal explanation. I don't know. It's, it's getting late for my brain. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a kind of very simple way of where you'd be able to, to find it, but then when I do the individual episodes, I will tell you in more detail the many different venues where you'd be able to stream this. But yes, Cat of Nine Tails is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, so that should satisfy most of your needs, and if not, I guess you'll just have to wait until next week to find out where else you might be able to stream it. So, okay, The Cat of Nine Tails, number one. What's your number two recommendation for me? Okay, number two is a film that I actually saw under its original title called uh, Creepers. Okay. Um, and that's when New Line Cinema put it out in America when they bought it from, from you know, Argento. But it's much better as its original title and original cut of phenomena um yeah phenomena starring a very young jennifer connelly oh yeah look at that okay yeah so like you know this is around the time she made labyrinth and she made phenomena and like i almost like i think it's a perfect double feature of jennifer connelly films because it's that same time period and they're both kind of like magical in different ways Mm -hmm. it's like because phenomena is a is a is a weird Jalo almost going into the supernatural, but it kind of the supernatural element ties in just to her character, mm-hmm. as opposed to like an overarching um, theme. So it's starring her um, at the time, Argento's wife, Daria Nicolodi, and Donald Pleasance, and <laughs> which is right there, and he's fantastic in the film. But she's a a girl living at this boarding school in like somewhere in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And she discovers she has these psychic powers that allows her to communicate with insects. Mm-hmm. And there's this serial killer who's killing young women at and around the school, and she uses her power of these bugs to pursue the serial killer. Okay, and that's already bizarre, but <laughs> yeah. but it's it somehow works. And and then again. It works for multiple reasons. It works because, you know, Argento's filmmaking is it, it just steady. And then mm-hmm. you have, like, Jennifer Connelly, who is fantastic in the role. Like, she's believable. And then you have Donald Pleasance, who is, like, helping her. Because I think he, if I remember correctly, he, like, um, studies bugs. And they kind of, kind of become friendly. And through it, like... While that's going on, she, like, is sleepwalking, and that's kind of, like, tying into the bugs, like, helping her, and she sees through the bugs, and then, mm-hmm. ultimately, um, there's also a chimp in the film <laughs> um, <laughs> that, becomes, that that helps her out. Like, it's so weird, and, like, what's weird, what's even weirder about the film is, if this film was just made in America, mm-hmm. it would just be laughed at. It'd be like, wait, a girl that has powers of bugs and and she has a chimp friend that's helping <laughs> like what is this stupid shit for some reason <laughs> the way Argento makes it and it's so like stylized and the music is so like like amazing in it 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 somehow just works and like I love this film so much I like I embrace it like when it 
actually like started screening again under the the original title of Phenomena. Mm-hmm. It I was so excited and like the um the soundtrack itself it's weird because at the time like from from like this film on almost he kind of went away from the typical like usually he would either have like goblin or someone in that same vein or even another like you know musician just kind of play the whole like soundtrack mm-hmm. you know and it'd be like that's the soundtrack that's the score in like from this film on he started like like almost containing popular songs in the soundtrack mm. which but then he would get like like um Claudio Simonetti who was from Goblin um cuz Goblin did the score but they it's weird because they really only used two cues from like Dawn of the Dead their Dawn of the Dead score mm-hmm. in it and then Simonetti worked with someone else and started like doing their own stuff but they also threw in like a lot of metal music <laughs> like Iron Maidens on this soundtrack and I think even um this one part all your creepers I think had locomotive by motorhead in it but then you know what I mean like <laughs> uh-huh. a lot of times they would change the score completely because I, I don't know it's always been weird but um like I love the film so much I have I have the score on on vinyl now like that it just got re-released okay it's one that I just adore and what's even what's even more crazy like if you're a video game fan mm-hmm. and there's a there's this game called clock tower okay it borrows probably most of the game to me borrows from phenomena which is a weird thing like out of everything like hafumi kono who made clock tower just loved phenomena so much that he just kind of wanted to replicate it in video game form <laughs> and his elements of like bugs being used and this killer that like it's just it's killing women and like, he, like it, it's it's so good and then what i love is um like people always like trashed like Jennifer Connelly at this time, like saying she's very aloof, very but she's a kid, mm-hmm. and that's what she seems like. She's a kid who's trying to like fight this serial killer who's like horribly killing people, <laughs> um, and you know using bugs to to fight back, you know, because like she might not be powerful enough to fight, but I don't know I just love it. And what's great is this film is actually. From my research, it's um, streaming on in two places. It's streaming on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. and it's also streaming on Shutter, which I think is a very, oh. very great service. Yeah, five bucks a month. You know, five bucks a month. You, it has probably the like. It's actually getting better now because now there's no more problems with the streaming with it. And hell, like they just put up a bunch of um, Hitchcock films on there, mm-hmm. and like a bunch of like Halloween, like the Halloween films. So, but yeah. Phenomena is one like I love, but like if you ever if you're ever gonna play it and it's it's the short version called Creepers, mm-hmm. it's not as good. Okay, it's uh, like twenty minutes. Twenty minutes was cut from it. It's I mean it's a long film. It's 116 minutes, so those twenty minutes like I you get a lot of like the character stuff taken out. Yeah, you know? I, 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 yeah, I get that, and yeah. I, Shutter. Ah, I, I used to have that service. Uh, I, I should get it back. Especially, yeah, they've been ramping up a lot for October for Halloween. Uh, and um, Sam Zimmerman, I've been trying to get him on this podcast for literally years. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, and it's just, he, he's a he's a very busy guy. It seems he is. Like. My my friend Joe is like who, um, 
hopefully when he's not busy, we'll start doing the small screen cinema podcast again. But he's really good friends with um, Sam, so I, I can ask him and see. You yeah, know. And, and Sam, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, but if you are, <laughs> please, please, please be my guest on I Do Movies Badly. Um, yeah. So, so two questions about phenomena for yeah. you. Number one, any confirmation that it's the same monkey from Monkey Shines? Is this a shared universe that we have? Between, <laughs> between... Um, if if only, like that'd be great. <laughs> I want, I you know, like I have a thing for like monkeys and like or monkeys or or actually apes or whatever. You, like depends on the genus of what they are. Mm-hmm. But I kind of love them in horror films. Like you know what I mean? I don't know. It's weird. Like Monkey Shines, I like a lot, and that's Romero. Mm-hmm based on a Stephen right Stephen King story, right? Um I don't know they, if that one is, but is it I don't I, I only assume because that's when um Argento was just make uh, not Argento. Romero was making all the the Stephen King stories like in a row. Right I, like he made the dark right I think he did um the dark half. He did um I think Monkey Shines was. But but I don't know if you remember the poster for Monkey Shines, which was just the um the what was it called? The um, the little monk, the yeah, little, little wind doll. up, yeah, yeah, monkey. wind up doll. And I, I remember like not being disappointed, but like going, "Oh, it's a Reese's monkey." <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, "Wait, that's what it is." I'm like, "But that monkey's like doesn't give a shit." But my favorite of the um, horror ape ape or monkey films at that time is Shockma. And have you ever seen Shockma? I, I've I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, Shockma is. A, Look like after we we do this episode, just watch the trailer. It's one of the most amazing <laughs> tra- trailers, which will make you either want to watch it or go, no, I don't ever want to have anything to do with this film. <laughs> but it's it's about a baboon who's like super crazy because he's been injected with like psychoactive drugs and steroids, and he's in this like building chasing down these young people playing like in college playing um basically playing like larping oh, okay in this building and roddy mcdowell is their teacher so but you have and it's funny roddy mcdowell planet of the apes i think is a joke like oh look he's getting he's yeah. fighting an okay. ape. <laughs> all right okay. yeah but the baboon is a real baboon he's like frightening because he's oh, running at people he's running at the camera like he's slamming against walls and doors and it's like holy shit this <laughs> I, I would be horrified by this thing you know <laughs> Um, uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, Monkey Shines was based on a novel by a guy named uh, Michael Stewart. Oh, um, Michael Stewart. Okay. Um, so yeah, and, and and yeah, because he did do um, Monkey Shines and then Two Evil Eyes in the Dark Half, and then Bruiser, which is a film that I would love to see remade yeah. someday. Uh, Me too. I think I think his you know his like I think the movie is not great, but it has good elements to it. But I think oh, yeah, yes. you're right. I I I mean. What's it? Jason Fleming, I think, is the star in that. Yeah, I believe so. Who's great? He he saves that movie because like his acting in that is great. It's like great acting in a subpar movie. Yeah, uh, and also <clears throat> uh, and Peter Stormare as as the big bad. Um, oh, yeah, right. Oh and, my god. Yeah, and and also probably the only film you'll ever see uh, in which the climax takes place in a Misfits concert. So. Oh yeah, that's why the Misfits were like in a few movies. They were <laughs> yeah. in that, and I think they were in um. Oh, what was the other one? I think they were in either. Uh, there was some other shitty film at that time that the Misfits are just randomly in. Uh, it was like a it was a horror film. I'll 
I have to find out what that was. But I remember going, why are the Misfits in all these films? <laughs> like, randomly. Like, it's like the Misfits. Yeah, because if you write a song called Astro Zombies, you get to be in any horror, mil- <laughs> any horror film you, you want. But uh, and the, the second question about Phenomena is, is uh, it's not even, it's rhetorical. I, I guess it'll be answered for me, answered for me when I watch the movie. But um, yeah. how can a movie in which, that involves a monkey and a girl that can psychically communicate with insects not be bad but <laughs> i'll I'll, well, I'll have to see i guess well i mean it, it it depends me i think it's one of the best films of the 80s but mm. some people don't agree with that i, I mean I, and then, you know. yeah and i'm i'm curious because i know like i know enough about argento to know like okay this is not going to be comic so i'll i'll i'll, I'll see how it goes but <laughs> um okay so uh number 3 What's your final recommendation for Dare Argento? I'm assuming it's something that doesn't involve psychic insects or a monkey. No, this is actually, like, basically straight up. It's actually, funny enough, it's one of his most successful films in Italy. Oh. And, and this is 1987's Opera. Okay. And Opera, also known as Terror at the Opera, if, depending on, I think in the UK it was called Terror at the Opera, because I have an old DVD from mm-hmm. Ar- Ar- before Arrow became really big, all their films looked like very similar like in a white box yeah and you know with, with cool art but it was like not a huge so it's kind of funny and they're re-releasing all the um argento films now too which is kind of funny but it's again this one is more on the lines of like of a giallo where there's a young soprano like um she's she gets in this um op, you know operatic version of Macbeth that is going to be played because the main person I think she either breaks her leg or something so she gets the role and there's this guy who's in a mask killing people that have to do with you know the production but the craziest thing about this one is that you know violent scenes are you know again very visceral very violent but what Argento does this time is that this killer wants the main girl to be a part of the murders in the sense that if she's there, he ties her up or whatever he does, you know, like he gets her like, you know, tied up and then he takes these, um, and it's a lot of times it's used on the box art. He takes, um, these needles, Mm -hmm. like little, little, like, you know, needles and puts them on her eyes, like, right, like, like, like on her eyelids. Mm -hmm. So she can't shut her eyes or she'll, cut her eyes so the whole time and it to me it's such a simple effect Mm -hmm. and it it plays so well because she has to stare at like one of like her best friend getting killed Mm. and like or someone else getting killed or and it's like this thing that ramps up and ramps up but this one is like almost like to the point this is one that i show people like especially like i remember like when i would i would i was meeting um like um women to date many many years ago and like it was like, gonna be a movie night like to hang out and i'm like oh have you ever seen opera they're like oh what's that and I'm like oh and and it's like oh it's a horror film like, oh yeah bring, bring it over <laughs> and like you know the, the three different girls that i showed it to in a span of like two years mm-hmm. i got second dates from them so and they must have <laughs> liked the film either that or they like to be i don't know but <laughs> but i mean it the soundtrack is one of the most bizarre soundtracks though mm-hmm. like i mean you have like 
people like again Claudio Simonetti from Goblin, but you have Brian Eno contributing oh. to it. Okay, and, but then you have like straight up like insane metal music in it. Again, <laughs> he loved metal music at this time, so like you have like, um, like I think, but then again, it's also mixed with like opera. Yeah, so it's, it's like this crazy, like you know, compilation of stuff, and I think to me this is his his last masterpiece okay i think this is like 1987 i believe this is like his film that if he ended his career right here Mm -hmm. it to me it's like almost a perfect career because like every film was like good to amazing Mm -hmm. after this there's you know there's glimpses of stuff like um like like one that he one of the films he did with his daughter um aja which is a whole other story um yeah um called the Stendhal syndrome that's pretty good i mean it's like i said some of his later stuff there's some there's some decent stuff there but this one opera i think is just really good i think it's like just a really well-made film some of the shots are insane and again what's what i love about argento is that sometimes he'll throw in again a little bit of a supernatural thing but like very subtle but this one has um birds that for some reason are um like helping her at some point hmm. but you, but it's not her controlling the birds they're just fighting off the killer at one point and it's like it's not really gonna ruin it because you wouldn't even know when it happens but it's like you kind of go what the hell like really is that <laughs> but it has one of the like again what's weird is that this is at the time when him and his wife were divorced but she's in this one too um, Daria Nicoletti and mm-hmm. it's one of the most it's my favorite it's actually my favorite kill scene like murder scene in any of Argento's films and that's <laughs> all I'm gonna say I don't want to say anything else about it because <laughs> when I first saw it in like you know on video when I rented it when I worked at Blockbuster video mm-hmm. I you know I would just rent you know you were allowed to rent five movies at a time as when you worked there so okay I I I'd, I'd just take five at a time and just you know watch them all i and the real and the ones i really loved i would record you know <laughs> and this was one that i just i was like oh my god like this is fantastic and like that kill scene alone is like it's just a masterful tense scene and it it but again it kind of makes sense that they were divorced because he just always <laughs> found a way to kill her in awful <laughs> awful ways (laughs) and it kind of tells you something about their relationship where i don't know i don't know what was going on behind the scenes with them but and this one actually was one of his most um is one of his most successful films but also is one of his highest um budgets i think it was like in in italian money i think it was like about eight million american Mm -hmm. which is funny to say eight million is like a lot (laughs) but for argento that was like you know so much money he got to do like crazy steady cam shots i think this was one of the films he actually did like a th thx like you know sound score for it so oh, like okay he, yeah he went like full tilt for this one this was like and i that's why i think he he just goes full full force with it and yeah it's just a lot of fun and i mean again everyone's great in it um what's funny too is in Phenomena and in this one, um, one of the actors is uh, the director of um, Cemetery Man. 
Michelle Suave, <laughs> who also who also is the um. Have you ever seen um the the Lampretto Bava film Demons? I I have not, but I've heard of, uh, oh, many things about it. Yeah, that's a Argento produced film, and that's a lot of fun because it's it's demons killing people in a movie theater, mm-hmm. and it's simple. And and it's like, what's hor- more horrifying that you can't you can't escape a movie theater? Yeah, and these demons are just ripping people apart, and Michelle Suave who. You know, he acted a lot. It's funny looking back and I'm going, wow, he actually, I think I've seen more of his films that he acted in than he directed, mm-hmm. which is weird to think. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's funny, though, because he plays the, the uh, I think, the uh, detective, one of the detectives in opera, <laughs> who's, who's trying to find a killer, which is just funny to me. It's like, dude, okay, that's awesome. But, yeah, I like again, I wanted to end with... Um, opera because i think that's like his last masterpiece and yeah i just i love it and and plus i I don't know why like i grew up being very into like the whole opera world Mm. i was like i love the you know you know Pavarotti and you know all you know all these other people and like for some reason like watching a horror film that wasn't phantom of the opera but based in the opera scene was yeah this cool take, and also I was a big Shakespeare fan, so it was like Macbeth mixed with the opera. Mm-hmm. I was a very nerdy, um, nerdy high school student. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, no. uh, um, and uh, I forgot what I was going to say, so I guess I'll just go into this. And it's it's also fun. Um, I just for some reason kind of wanted to see uh, who shot opera and so the dp is a guy named ronnie taylor that i'm like no oh, i don't really know much about this guy but i'll scroll through uh ronnie taylor won an oscar for shooting gandhi um holy holy shit really <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's the dp on opera so oh wow oh, okay <laughs> see that's uh that's kind of amazing to me uh to be honest with you but yeah um so um i'm trying to think no i i had something to say it's not coming back to me so uh, I, I think it's it's in everyone's best interest, I guess, if we just sort of wrap this all up and recap it. Opera is also uh, available to watch on, on Amazon Prime if you have that. So uh, a recap for the three recommendations. We got The Cat of Nine Tales, we got Phenomena, and we got Opera. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah, because I think talking or, or hearing about Dara Argento, it's sort of people are saying like, oh, you know, if you're, if you're going to... His canon is really sort of, they'll say like Suspiria, Tenebra... Um, maybe Inferno and then Opera. So it seems like we're ending on, as you said, kind of uh, the the last one, in, uh, the last jewel in his crown, perhaps. So, um, yeah, that's that's a good thing. Uh, and also, final update: uh, unfortunately, the Yankees fell to the Red Sox four to three this evening. Uh, so. well, eh, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> um, all right. So, James, if uh, if people have listened to this podcast and say, well, he sounds like a charming individual, where can I engage with James McCormick more? Where can people find your stuff online? Um, well, that's not current is the spot right now for the most part. Like, I try to do as much as I can. We, You know, you and I were joking about trying to be creative. It's mm-hmm. hard sometimes when you have to work for a living on the side. Yeah. And, like, you, you, try, you try to, like, find any time at all. So, um that's most part like really recently i've been doing a lot of um like reviews for like less you know smaller films and a lot of interviews like i actually got to interview um one of my favorite interviews i did recently was uh matthias hughes and if you don't know who that is um there was a film that i adored 
and it's weird to say that, but it was a Dol- it was a Dolph Lundgren film in the early '90s called "I Come in Peace." Okay, about he played a cop, and it was this alien. This and it was this really buff, like tall, blonde, like almost like Aryan-looking alien who came down to Earth and was basically he's an intergalactic drug dealer. <laughs> And he's and the only thing he says throughout the whole film is I come in peace, but he doesn't. He's killing people, so that's the joke. But this guy Matthias Hughes is the alien in that, and like he's still in like the most amazing shape I've ever seen anyone in, and like one of the most jovial, just nice guys. And we just talked about his career, and like I've been trying to do that with a lot of these like interviews, like with like 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 I also did an interview like about a year ago with Don the Dragon Wilson. Okay, and that was fantastic. Like he, he just was like, just talked and talked, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Like I got to do interviews with like, like you know, people that used to be like really famous, and now you know they're still popular, but in like the uh, straight to DVD slash um, VOD market. Because mm-hmm. to me now, like, like VOD is like probably going to be the way to go. I mean, I'm a theater guy, but. Even then, if it's not the Draft House and some of the other theaters, I can't go to a lot of theaters where I just want to fight with people because they don't shut up. <laughs> like they're on their phone. They're like, I'm like, you spent sixteen bucks on a on a movie ticket and you're on your phone the whole time. Oh, uh, you'd uh, you'd probably you'd probably be driven insane by the the theater down here. It's uh, it's it's like the so the Court Street Theater. It... Oh, I, I actually, I you know what's funny? I was actually earlier today. I was I was right near you because I was. Earlier before work, I went to the Barnes and Noble over there, right next to the Court Street Theater. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah that theater is infamous for that. <laughs> but yeah, and, and the, but the Court Street one is kind of like it's 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 like fun, you know. It's, no, it is. It, it, there's it's it's kind of raucous, and especially I mean, I saw it there, and that was a wonderful crowd experience. Oh. I would have, I would have maybe liked the film then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, there's a, a theater specifically, yeah, in in my neighborhood, which is like it's it's disruptive, but it's because people are like answering their phones and like shining their phone, and, and not like in the fun crowd, but just in the sense of like they have nothing better to do, so they'll just yeah. go to a movie. And I, I, yeah, I'm I'm that way as well. But yeah, um, weird side note about Court Street: the one of the best scre- screenings I ever went to was actually at the Court Street Theater. And it was for, I don't remember anything about the film, because it was it was a turd, which was R.I.P.D. I don't uh. remember that. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. That was the first film I ever saw with Movie Pass when Movie Pass was actually like this wonderful. <laughs> it was this wonderful thing back like years ago, and all I remember, my brother and I went to see it, and there was this like black woman next to us, and she was the greatest like co- comedic superstar ever because. She was just making these jokes, and I'm like, "Wow, this movie was enjoyable because of her." Mm-hmm. She made it enjoyable because if I watch it like like normal, like I would have been like, "This is bad." Like mm. this is when Ryan Reynolds still couldn't make a hit. Yeah, no, I I I, I should so I should also say uh, I I also saw Selma at the Court Street Theater, and that was a, a made, made an even more powerful viewing experience. Um, in in that theater was it was quite it was quite an experience i actually really kind of love that um but uh there was something else i was gonna wow i'm 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 no, off tonight. It, it, well, well i mean i was gonna say like besides that's not current um really like 
I, I'm always on Twitter, or at least as much as I can be. Um, I'm at Fistful of Media on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's kind of where I interact with people, and I just kind of randomly ask, you know, weird, weird, random questions sometimes, like, <laughs> you know, like, or or I'll make comments like, um, you know, um, the show Three's Company is actually about Jack the Ripper, <laughs> like, like John Ritter's character is Jack Tripper or Jack T Ripper. <laughs> And, like, people were like, wait. And then, like, now I can't watch that show without thinking that he's killing women. I'm like, exactly, because he always has a new girlfriend every episode, and you never see them again. Mm-hmm. And, like, because he's killing them all. Like, But it's in, pre- you know, present-day 80s L.A. as opposed to England. And I always said that. Like, that and, like, Charles in Charge was about um, Charlie Manson. <laughs> but, but if you listen to <laughs> listen to that theme song, it's it's a Charles Manson theme song. So... I, I kind of like I have a thing for old sitcoms and I kind of look at the darkness of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a whole other side thing that I do sometimes. But. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I also remember the thing I was going to say is that uh, one of my favorite film podcasts, We Hate Movies. Anytime, yeah. anytime they're talking about someone who is deceit, who has passed away, they'll say R.I.P.D. And then that <laughs> person's name. So, uh, yeah, so it li- it lives on in that in that podcast. But. Um, and of course, listeners, if you want to engage with me or follow me for some strange reason, um, you can always uh, tune into the the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search I Do Movies Badly. I Do Movies is where you can find all of my episodes, as well as going to BattleshipRetention.com and going to the podcast drop-down menu and clicking on I Do Movies Badly, and you can engage in the comment fields there. Not many people do. I always appreciate it when people do, and I try to respond right away. Um, speaking of responding, shoot me an email, badly at gmail.com. If you want to attack me personally and directly, that's probably the best way to do it. So, um, Oh, and I'm I'm Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. Uh, sometimes I'll engage with, with James on there as well. Um, but uh, I think that's about it, and I think it's about time we, we wrap this up. So, James, thank you for joining me for this discussion on Dare Argento for this this October Halloween horror season. Um, I look forward awesome. to yeah, I look forward to getting into it. And so listeners be sure to tune in next week where I will be talking about the cat of nine tails and hopefully I'll be just a little bit less ignorant. <laughs> This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.